All right, welcome back to the Ugly Pike podcast. Today we're going to break down some differences between two world-class musky waters, Lac Sul and Lake of the Woods, from someone who has intimate knowledge working on both of them for many years. He basically grew up with a rod in his hand and living uh, and breathing outdoor life. So, you know, let's just start off. Let's hear from the man himself, Mr. Nate Anderchuk. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking the time out um, uh, to do this with us. We really appreciate it. Ah, th- thanks for having me, fellas. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be on the show, actually. You guys have had a lot of talent on here, so it's a pleasure to be on and doing the show. Well, I mean, you, you gave us a short. I, mean, I gave you a short intro, and I just want to. I just want to say it. The reason why I did that is because you you gave us so much information, and uh, we're going to pick it apart. And I didn't want to just like regurgitate it. I want to hear you explain it because I think the listeners are really going to get some valuable information today on on your experience. And I love your kind of like how you grinded out this experience, and uh, I'm really interested to, to to learn more about it today. No, that's awesome. Um, I'm happy to share the, all the information and uh, hopefully help guys out. And it's I love talking fishing, so <laughs> I could talk for hours and hours and hours nice. about fishing. Good. I, yeah, I want to thank Nate for hanging in there because, like, it literally took six months to get him on the show. <laughs> yeah. Nate, how long have you and I been going back and forth? Uh, it's been forever. It, 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 it's been quite a while, actually. It's uh, what I guess it's since last September or so. So it, it's been, I would say, yeah, at least six, seven, seven months, somewhere around there, that we've been talking about it and going back and forth. And uh, well, even this summer, actually, at more than six, seven months, it's been over a year because. Uh, we were sending pictures back and forth this summer in that. Right, yeah. No, I'm pretty sure I first reached out to you when my wife wasn't pregnant, and now I have a three-month-old downstairs. So, <laughs> Actually, I remember you saying about your wife being pregnant and stuff. So, yeah, it's it's been over a year, actually, that uh, we've been trying to make this happen. Well, we better make a good episode. <laughs> well, at least you're in the uh, the downtime now, right? There's no, there's, uh, yeah. no, there's no, we're not in the fishing season. <laughs> well, there, there's ice fishing, and I love ice fishing, doing the lake trail fishing and walleyes, and well, fishing for anything really. But uh, the Lakers, I, I'm a diehard ice fisherman for Lakers. You, you gotta love that drag scream and everything nice. when, when you're doing that. So okay, so let's let's start. Like okay, you you told us you you're three weeks old and you're already you're already on the boat fishing with your with your family. Yeah, um, I was born May first, and we had a family cabin out at Chabandwan Lake. It's about an hour outside Thunder Bay, uh, which is a long ways from Lac Sul and Sulacout or and uh, Kenora actually in Lake of the Woods. Um, it's about four hours from Sulacout, Laxul, eight hours from Lake of the Woods, but that was my hometown. And, uh, my parents had me in a boat May long weekend, three weeks after I was born. And my mom has pictures of me where they had the rod in my hand because I'm a person and I can fish. So <laughs> not that I could do anything with it, but I was out there. <laughs> nice. 
And, and yeah, it just grew from there as the years went on and stuff. I went out there to with my grandparents all the time. My dad was kind of, he was a chef, so he traveled the country a lot. And my parents split up when I was nine. Um, so, yeah, I spent a lot of time out at that family cabin actually fishing for smallmouth bass because there is no muskies really anywhere around Thunder Bay. Uh, the closest place is Wabagoon, actually. Um so yeah, I was a, I turned into a diehard bass guy. Yeah, we it's it's still fun. You're fishing, right? But you know when you when you get when you when you sw when you switch to muskies, then the, the 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 real addiction started, right? Oh, definitely. Like, well, I, and then I started working at a fishing store uh, when I was 16 until I was about 18 and a half years old, and then graduated high school early and i said hey I'm, go I'm going fishing i'm going guiding because i always wanted to be a professional fisherman as i guess you can say and uh yeah so i went guiding and that's when i got introduced to muskies when i went north of kenora on the english river system that that's when i got my first taste of the musky fever <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's a cool area too. I mean, it's funny how there's no there's no muskies in uh, in and around Thunder Bay, uh, but there's good fishing. And my muskie path in life, you know, started almost in in the Thunder Bay Chris area when we used to take trips for you know big walleye, and then we would land these huge pike. And then we would want to know what kind of the next evolution in, in predator fishing was, and sure enough, it let, you know you're going you're going two hours north with every upgrade to the to the predator quest, and uh, you know eventually you land in Black Sewell Eagle Lake, or you go west and and uh, you hit woods, or or some of the other ones in between. But uh, that's a journey I think a lot of us take, eh? Uh, from like guiding in all the years and all the guests I've met, it, a lot of guys have done that kind of journey, uh, like across and or they started out with the, it was the walleyes and then they got introduced to the pike and then yeah, like you said, you guys wanted the top predator, so it just kept on advancing and advancing and advancing. Yeah, right. But it, like you said about muskies being around Thunder Bay, they did at one point, I think it was uh, 1944, the MNR actually did try stocking some lakes around this area. Uh, Lactamalac is one in particular that's a big name lake for walleye fishing around this area, but they tried stocking it. And I guess they just never took to the lake or... Um, I don't know really the reasoning why they didn't keep on trying to stock it or I never looked into it that much, but I do know that they did try it at one point and it just never took, which amazes me because it is a river system type lake where there is current going through it, which muskies are a natural river fish, so they like that current. And it's got shallow water, lots of cabbage, there's lots of bait fish in there. So I'm really surprised that they actually didn't take up into that lake when they tried to to uh, bring them into that water system. It's, I'm kind of surprised about that. But they did try to get them around here. And it, you got the Kamenisquaw River that runs right from 
um, Lake Superior just right beside Thunder Bay, and it goes up into the north woods and that. Um, and it has great walleye. They're actually found out lately um, the last few years. There's black crappie in there, but there's all these types of species. And then you look at Lake Superior, and it's getting found out a little bit more and more and more um, that there is muskies in there. The muskies, actually, the MNR did a study at, uh, what river is it? I think it's called the Pine River, and it's about five hours east of Thunder Bay that drains into Lake Superior. And they did studies um of the muskies in that river and stuff so they they are connected and connected to water that are that's right here in thunder bay it's just no one fishes for them or no one targets them so i can't see like that's probably why people don't see them as much or i don't know you would think that you get an accidental catch here and there if there's more of them but as the Shumway showed down in the Duluth area, Lake Superior, um, in the islands around there, guys didn't think that there was muskies in that area. And uh, Bruce and um, Fuzzy Shumway there, uh, I remember, well, probably about 15 years ago plus now, they actually caught muskies in Lake Superior around the islands down in that part of Lake Superior and out in the open water more and stuff. So... There is muskies in Lake Superior, so you would think that they would be around the Thunder Bay area, but it, it's tough to say. You'd have to get a bunch of guys out there and fishing to find out for sure. Go ahead, Frank. Go ahead. You mentioned Lac de Malac. That's closer to Thunder Bay. That's about, about an hour and a half out of Thunder Bay, isn't it? Yeah, it's about there. an hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Good, great walleye. I caught one of the probably the prettiest walleye I ever caught was caught at Lac de Malac, and and there's big pike in there too. But yeah, you're right, no musky. Yeah, yeah, huge pike in there. Uh, and Nate, what about walleye? Yeah. What yeah. about just like east of Thunder Bay on the shore there in, in uh, Lake Superior by the Black Bay and all of the kind of little small islands off that point? Is it like anybody ever fish there? Uh, I'm yeah. sure people fish there, but do you ever would you ever go target muskies? If I had the opportunity to, and you would want a guy, another guy in the boat with you, or even a second boat, because that is massive water out there, like, and it can erupt at any time. So you need a pretty big boat to be out on that water to successfully target it and to be safe out there at the same time, because it it does get big, but Black Bay is something that triggers my mind heavily because there's a lot of sand in that bay. My buddy actually owns a nice um, fishing outfit out there where he rents out day shacks for perch fishing. And uh, they do really well. There's an abundance of huge perch where you can get 14 inches out there. There's massive walleyes. My buddy accidentally caught like a 34 and a half incher out there. Um, but massive walleyes, there's multiple pictures of every year of guys from Thunder Bay catching 45-inch northerns out of the bay. Um, you look at the feed that's in that bay, it, there's smelt, there's whitefish, there's yeah. handling, there's cisco, there's everything. And like I said, the structure, a lot of sand, there is rock, there's heavy cabbage inside the bay. And then you go out to the deeper water and you got the deeper water where there's lake trout, greasy, oily, good feed where 
That would be a prime spot. If you're going to find a muskie close to the Thunder Bay on Lake Superior, that would be probably the place I would first try, try and attempt. Well, your, your point is well taken about the, the big water. I mean, you know, just being on Georgian Bay, uh, it can be scary. And you're looking at Lake Superior here and just, yeah, the, the open and vastness of this lake would be very intimidating. Oh, okay. it's, no doubt. it's huge. You can go in waves where waves will get so bad out there and you'll go up and you'll see everything around you and you go down and all you see is water around you and there is nothing because you, you'll run into, on average out there, you can run into 10-foot rollers easy on average. Jeez. Wow. No, thanks. No, no. Not on my 18-footer, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's probably what keeps people off there, right? I mean, it's you want to put time into an ecosystem if you're exploring it, and it's it's hard when you when you're worried about swells like that, man. That's that's crazy. I mean, uh, plus I, I get so seasick, I'd be I'd be throwing up in five seconds. I mean, but, uh, <laughs> I bet you, I bet you, there's great spots with some great fish. I mean, probably some monsters, right? I, Big lake. I wouldn't doubt it. You look at like Lake Michigan and stuff like that, where it was kind of unknown for a long time. And then uh, all of a sudden guys started pulling out hogs out of there, trolling all the time. And you look at that body of water, it's just a big basin kind of deal. So like that, that would be where. Okay. So Lake Michigan's where it's connected to like where all those guys are doing all that trolling and stuff down in that area around Detroit and stuff, isn't it? Um, I'm not sure where you're talking about, uh, Nate. Where, in Sault Ste. Marie area? Like, are you talking no, about yeah, the southern yeah. part of Huron or, or? Down in the States, like the Michigan, Lake Michigan. Ah, okay. Sorry, I got you guys cut out there for a sec. Chris, I know my audio is not the best. Is that better at all? A little bit, yeah. I mean, it, at some points, it's hard to hear you, but I can pick it up. It's just your voice isn't very. Yeah, strong. I'm not sure what's going on here, but anyways, I'll uh, I'll keep tinkering. Uh, okay. Sorry, go ahead. Okay, so so uh, Nate, like, then let's start with what when you really sunk your teeth into the guiding and the and the uh, the musky life, and and that's Sioux Lookout, that's Moosehorn Lodge. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Yeah. Moosehorn. Well, I, I did a year at another lodge, Anderson's Lodge, that's just up the road from Moosehorn. And then uh, with all the guys that I met, Greg Marino, Colin Goss, um, Chris Edwards, all those guys, they kind of went over to Moosehorn and I was still at Anderson's. And then uh, those were my buddies and the guys I was fishing with. So I ended up going over the next season uh, to Moosehorn after that. And yeah, and then I spent eight years at Moosehorn. Yeah, so I mean, it's, I, I went there when I was fishing in Sewell. I went there to get, I went there to get a bait from the, from the shop. And uh, I wanted a top water. 
And I think uh, I, I met Linda. I think she's the owner, right? Yes, sir. Or she runs it? Yeah, uh, she's yeah. the owner. So Her I started picking... I start. I started picking her brain about like you know I wanted a top water, and she 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 sold me the big mama with the clicker, and I don't know if that's the one she caught her monster on, but she she did catch it. She said that's one of one of the biggest fish I caught was on that lure, and and I loved it, and I've used it ever since, and it's been successful for me. But um, really nice setup, really nice uh, people. It was, they were very you know welcoming, and uh, was, like I said, she spoke to me for a while. We just had a conversation and. Um, it's, it's recognized as one of the top outfitters in that area. So, I mean, you've been, you went, you, you stayed there for eight, eight, nine years. How was your, you know, what, what was your path there? You just, that's where you really learned all of your musky skills, like from the beginning there. Well, yeah. Um, like I got introduced to muskies when I was north of Kenora on the English river, but that was only for a season. Then I went over to Laxul and that's when I got hooked up with Moosehorn and, like all the guides there, Greg Marino and that. And those guys, they've been doing it for a couple of years um, and just kind of, as far as I know, getting to know it and that. But they were really talented and catching a shit ton of big fish. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I got introduced to them and they kind of took me up. Greg Marino especially took me under his wing. Me and him became best friends and we just went toe-to-toe and, yeah, pushed each other to just keep on catching more fish and bigger fish, and <laughs> it was uh, it was a good competition between the two of us. <laughs> nice, hey, Chris. What what bait are you talking about? The the Big Mama Clicker. It's a it's a top water, and it has that spinner on the back, the, the the rotor on the back, but it also has that metal bar that that when you pull it, it just whacks um, either side of the lure. And right. the black and orange one, and that's the one I, I caught on the, the next trip when I said I wanted to, I, I got to catch a topwater this year, and that was what what I used, and and she said that was you know one of her favorite lures. There, so is that the, the lure you got the first fish on? Remember the forty eight you got with with yeah ben? yeah is that's that- the lure that's the lure yeah I remember yeah okay that's what I thought awesome wow so that that paid off pretty good for you eh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, those those big mama uh, clickers and the psycho sister and stuff, those are they're they're great baits. They the plop of them, the sound of them, they run really good. I uh I remember the original owner. I used to talk to him all the time and uh when before I can't remember who bought it now. Um uh, but the original, I think it's Chaos Tackle that owns it now. Um, but the original owner, he, he took a lot of pride into designing those baits and making them and, uh, yeah, and perfecting the, those lures and man, they, they work actually, like you said, with the clicker, Linda, what was it? It was, I guess, three years ago or something like that. Linda, uh, was going out fishing. I was taking the Linder's angling edge guys out, uh, Jeremy Smith. Uh, I was guiding him. I wasn't on the show. I was just in another boat, uh, bringing him around the lake with one of the St. Croix reps. And then Linda on the last day jumped in with them. They, uh, weren't having too good of luck hooking up or getting any big fish on. And Linda was going with them that day. And I was like, Linda, take this. And she looks at it. She goes, no, no, I'm, I'm all right. I'm like, no, take this. 
And like you, it was a brand new <laughs> Twisted Sister clicker, but a pure black one, not the black and orange, just a pure black one. And I was like, no, take this, Linda. She took it in. I think it was the last like couple hours of the day. She ended up getting, I think it was a 51 and a half on it or something, which ended up being the okay, biggest. Okay, mate, that is the... Nate, that is the exact story she told me. So I bought that lure, like, I think uh, right after that happened. And, and she told me exactly the story you told me. And then it was the, one of the last casts of the night. And she just jumped in the boat. She didn't feel like going, but she did it anyways. And she, she got the biggest fish of the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. I was, when she got back, I told you to take that lure. <laughs> That's awesome. And another thing that they're, they're, they're so easy to pull, right? So if you're chucking blades all day, uh, it's a great, um, like, just a great break because you just, they cast, you can bomb them and they're easy to pull back and uh, you can set the hook nice on them. So I think they're just, a, it's a great bait to, to use. Oh, definitely. And the nice thing about them, like top, right, top raiders, you can't go wrong. They've been in, you look at them in history, they're probably the best top water that will ever go down. They still work amazingly to this day to catch multiple big fish. They've worked ever since they came out. But the profile, right? Like the top raider, you got a little bit of a smaller profile, which I like using more early mm -hmm. season when muskies up here first open the fourth uh, Saturday in June. So it's a little bit later on in the year where the baby ducklings are just coming out and they're small in that. But with the uh, big mama, you got a bigger profile. So when it gets like mid-August or so, those baits are a little bit nicer, I feel, and matching the hatch a little bit more because those ducklings are getting a little bit bigger in size and they like make a little bit no more noise. So when you're using a little bit bigger profile bait like the big mama, you you're kind of matching the hatch a little bit more as the season progresses, right? That's interesting, too. I mean, uh, you don't hear a lot about those baits, Chris. I mean, I mean, I don't anyways, but, uh, you know, people that are in the know, you know, they swear by them, and we've had really good experiences with them. So uh, I know the first bait I'm going to steal out of your box the next time we're fishing. <laughs> Chris. Well, yeah, I just took the advice from somebody who was there, and it worked out. And, and uh, it, you just, again, you just made a comment, Nate, and that's exactly when I caught it was mid-August. So it matches your profile theory exactly. That was exactly when I caught it. Yeah, and like they actually now, uh, I can't, like I said, I don't know who owns them now, but now they're making actually a little sister, they call it. And earlier season, it, it it's almost identical. Well, it's not almost identical. It's a different profile, but it's about the same size as a top raider where this past season I had a, a ton of action on it early on. Uh, and that's basically the only topwater I was using uh, was the little sister early on in the season for topwater action because it gives that high, good, heavy plop of the twisted sister and the psycho sister, but it's got that smaller profile on it. Nice. Okay, I'm going to put that in the, in the, the, the uh, shopping cart, online shopping cart. <laughs> 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 oh i i ended up Must buying tackle, I think it 
when they first uh, showed up at Moosehorn, like you said, we have a lot of tackle in the shop at that lodge. And uh, it's pretty much, if, if you want baits that are going to work, Moosehorn's definitely the place to go in Sulaco to get baits that are going to work. Because Linda and Carter, like I said, the owners, they're amazing people. And they heavily listen to us guides and what we're using out there and the baits that we use. And we're always fishing with Linda and... and uh, she sees the baits we're using and stuff and she'll talk to us and she'll be like, what do you guys think of these baits or these colors? And they, we, we work as a really good team at that lodge to make sure that our customers get benefited the most and have the highest chances of boating fish and, and having a good time. Chris, we, uh, we hear so many good things about Linda. Eh? I mean, everyone just, talks like uh so so well about her we should yeah. out to her eh? i think that would be smart yeah we should set something up because i mean first of all the fact that she has you know the woman's world record of 57 i think it's 57 inches nate yeah, that, it was big. So she, she has a story to tell us right there oh that story yeah. is so, absolutely amazing i won't say it i'll let her talk about it but that's one that's one wild story. I was not in the boat for it, but I was out on that day as well. And oh, yeah, I'll let her tell that story because it is wild. <laughs> nice. So Frank, we got to set that up then. We want, we want to hear that. I'll put her on the list. Yeah, she, she's, well, amazing. Uh, you know, what? we'll, we'll probably, she she's an amazing person to just talk to, hang out with her. She she's like a stepmom to me actually. Her and uh, her family took me in when I started guiding there, and I was only like twenty one years old at the time. Where yeah, they made me feel really welcome. They it's Moosehorn's a, a home to me. Like it's it's not just a place I go or anything. It, it's a home to me at that lodge. It sounds like it sounds like it, and and from what you 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 know you you sent to us, it also sounded like at the time you got there, there was some sort something that was happening. You guys were like at the right time, and you were investigating a part of the lake that maybe I don't know if it was unfished or it just wasn't popular. And something you talk about something happening that blew up, and you were just on fire. Um, Talk about that a bit. I mean, like that must have been an exciting moment where you're just like going out and constantly boating these, you know, one thing we can say about Sewell, maybe we'll get into it as well as part of this, is just what a magical lake it is and what a magical feeling you get on that water. So boating 50s daily from there must have been incredible for you. And just talk a bit about how you were at that moment where things were just on fire for you guys. It, it yeah like you said it's magical it's amazing it's it's i call it god's land there that that water because if if you go to heaven that's where you want to end up where you're fishing the rest of your days and when you're gone and everything <laughs> it, it's that unreal um but yeah i hit it on amazing time when i first went over there uh, I locked out big time for a young angler, a guy that's just starting out his guiding career and stuff. And to happen to go to that Sulacote and hit that water at that time, I I really lucked out because there's Greg Marino, Chris Edwards, Colin Goss, Brian Cole, 
Um, there's a lot of guys there that were already breaking into that southeast section of Lac Sewell. And they they kind of already had a couple years where they were starting to figure it out. And they, they had a good pattern and a good knowledge of where these fish were and um, where to get them on the lake. And I happened to run, well, become friends with these guys. And they brought me in like family. Uh, so I... I really lucked out, but it was amazing, man. Like to go running up the lake, there would be four or five of our boats and we're swerving in and out of each other. Everybody's laughing, having a good time, pictures. And you got these big groups and you're pulling into areas like Bear Paw Bay, Fallinger, and you see your other guide boats and your buddies that you're guiding with. And they're in a spot and you're in another spot. And then all of a sudden you hear one hoot go off and, it's like, all right, well, get ready for it because something's going to happen. And then all of a sudden another boat hooting, hollering, and then another <laughs> boat hooting and hollering. And then all of a sudden a fish comes out of nowhere on one of your baits and you're not paying attention because you're watching and hearing all these other boats amp you up. And it was a, yeah, it was a magical time. And there was so, so many big fish um, in that south the east section of the lake like like i said you, you you can go in a day and see five six seven fifty plusers no problem in a day um coming up to your baits and different fish not the same fish coming out over and over again like these are different fish in different spots and uh it, it was a real magical time but like you said um where i said to you guys is it wasn't really known at that time. Like Greg Marino, Colin Gosson, those guys are the ones that kind of uh, broke it open and then invited me in after a couple of years when I first got up there. And then we kind of just blew it up with how many fish we were catching. But it wasn't really touched. We we heard some stories from the native guides and stuff. Roy Little Deer was one of my mentors when I was younger, I actually roomed with him. He was uh, like 66 years old and his bed was right across the room from mine. <laughs> I'm 21 years old, so I don't know how much he felt about that, having a 21-year-old that liked to have fun at night and stuff too, right across from him. But he would tell me stories about seeing these muskies in these areas and then you'd hear everybody else, no, no, no. And Everybody I talked to, even before I got there, they said, Wapeezy, Wapeezy, the northeast section, the northeast section. And then I got there, and these guys are like, no, the southeast section. And it was like, oh, okay. But then you heard about, then I started getting more knowledge about it. And then I heard guys weren't even fishing the northeast section as much anymore, where it kind of... Black Sewell went silent there for quite a few years. Like it was heavy in the early 1990s. Um, I guess it was heavily fished. Bob Massacomer, uh, you had a lot of guys, Linders, all those guys coming up and they're fishing the Northeast section and they were killing it way back then. But then all of a sudden it died off and it went quiet. But at that time, they never had the catch and release only rule on Black Sewell. So you're allowed to keep fish at that time. So I don't know if it got fished out or, well, just now nowadays with our proper handling skills of fish, if more fish survived and that. But, um, like, yeah, I heard stories that in the 90s it was just huge and then it just dropped down and then all of a sudden we kind of blew it up again. It's... Uh... 
it's so vast. It's just it's so awesome. And you you said you worked for Andersons for a season, Nate, or two seasons, or yeah, what? I, about a season and a half. Season. I did you ever get out to the Tuck Bay outpost? I uh, I never actually stayed at the outpost for Andersons, but I uh, worked at uh, Laxul Outpost that's in uh, Chamberlain Narrows. Um, they have an outpost camp. Okay, where... yeah, so that's Pardon? Yeah, not so not too far away, eh? Oh no, like basically, uh, Laxul Outpost is surrounded by Andersons Outpost. You got Tuck, you got Kekabeka, you got Tom's Landing. Uh, that's just north of Laxwell Outpost, and then you got Pick Narrows Camp. That's the furthest one north on the whole lake. That was that was my first musky fishing trip, and that you basically just described the my my route, my daily fishing route, right out of Tuck <laughs> Bay and up the Narrows, and uh, so uh, yeah, that's. Uh, uh, that that trip just made me fall in love with Lac Sewell. I mean, we, we talk, our our listeners are probably so sick of hearing us fawn over it, but it is such a great place and the wildlife. And I don't know, man, I, Chris. I don't know. It's it's there's something intangible about there, it. There's, yeah, there is. And like I fished, I fished a lot of places as as so many of the listeners have. And like I, I it's definitely top three of the my places I've ever fished and. There's just something about it that I can't explain. And maybe it's the fact that you're in this crazy environment and you're the only boat on the water and you have like a 55 inch fish charging your boat. And it's like, it's you in the, it's just you in the context of this incredible moment and like nothing's around, but you know, this incredible setting. And I don't know, I just, I felt so like at peace with fishing there and uh, you mentioned something when you were talking, and Frank, I think we found our tagline, like, something's going to happen. It seems to be what is said on Lac Sewell. Every time I go there, the people that know the lake, it's like, if you ask them, you know, uh, is how's the fishing now? Or like, what what's working? What's, something's going to happen. We don't know, but something's <laughs> going to happen. And that seems to really be the truth is something does happen and it blows your mind when it does. Uh, well, that's the thing, Chris. It's like some, something's going to happen, but it's never like it's never just something. And I think the people saying something's going to happen know that it's never like that. That that word something is juxtaposed perfectly because everyone knows damn well that lake is going to blow your mind sooner or later, right? That's what the something really is. Yeah, that that's funny that you guys say that too. Hey, what do you think? I, I've sat there and I don't know how many times with guests and that lake could be really tough. Well, it is really tough and it can be really hard, even on a guide that spent a lot of time on the lake where it will just go quiet and you're not seeing anything, not seeing anything, not seeing anything. And you go all day and you're not seeing anything. But as a guide and you're trying to keep people pumped up and paying attention and ready to go for it is, that's one thing I've always said is, don't worry, something's going to happen. Just keep it up. Keep up the good work. Something's going to happen. Just wait for it. Just wait for it. Something's going to happen. Something's going to blow up here at any time. Something's going to happen. <laughs> so it's funny that you guys say that. But, Nate, isn't... 
Nate, as a guide, isn't that like the hardest part? Uh, because that's something is could have been a life moment. And if you're not ready for it, and that's so hard as a muskie angler, you know, sitting there on those waters for like five days and having no action. And then when that something happens, it's a fish of a lifetime and you have three seconds to seal the deal. And if you're not ready because you've had five days of just, you know, the low of the low of the, you know, we all know what musky fishing is about. So we're at the low of the low. And if you can't get yourself, you know, energized and ready for that something that happens in a split second, you've lost that chance of, you know, you know, a 50 caliber, 55 caliber fish, and you'll never forget it. And we've all, we've been there. I mean, I'm sure you've lost some, 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 you know, epic battles, but you know, I'm just saying that there's that thing of just being in that zone of like nothing and nothing. But then when that something happens, it's wow, you have to be ready because that's your chance. Oh, I, I totally agree with you, but also like as a guy, that's that's part of your duty and part of your job and why people are giving you money to to take them out fishing is you, you got to help them and, and stay on top of them and keep them on top of their game because a lot of guys too that you get when you're guiding have never fished for muskie. They don't know what it's like and it, it, it will kill you. Like I've I've watched three hundred pound bodybuilders go down after four spots of casting cowgirls, and they're looking at me going because I'm only one hundred and sixty pounds. They're like, "How do you do this all day?" And it's you got to have the drive, you got to <laughs> have the passion, you know. Like, but it, it it's it wears on you. But as a guide, that's you got to kind of keep your guests focused and and keep them on the ball and. uh even if they don't catch the fish, um, you hey, you got the experience. You got to see it. You got to, yeah, you didn't get to hold it in your hands, but you, you got to pump them up about the experience they did have with it. So even if they're continue fishing with you or it's the last day or anything, especially if they're continuing fishing with you for another day or two, uh, you can't let them sit in heartbreak for that whole time, else it's just not going to help the trip keep on going or change the trip around. Like losing that one fish, maybe right away, and it can end your whole trip before it started. So, I think as as a guide, you you got to take the positives out of it and uh, just try to keep your guys focused. And hey, don't be heartbroken if that fish gets off or you lose it. Just take the positive about it and uh, keep on grinding because especially on Lac Sewell, that water, your next cast can produce another giant. I had uh, one of my guests, uh, Bob Johnson, comes up from Chicago. Uh, actually, he's a friend of mine now. Uh, he was a guest the first day I ever met him, and after that, we became really good friends. He came up multiple times and fished with me, and uh, him and his sister, and he's releasing a 52 that he just caught, and while he's releasing it, his sister on the very next cast boats a 55. And while he's releasing his 52, she's fighting a 55, and it's complete rain, uh, cold front, bad weather and stuff, but keep the guys pumped, keep everybody focused, and that magic can just pop off at any moment. That's, that's just awesome. And, you know, Chris, you know as well as I do the way the bite windows work. And uh, when they work on a lake like that, it is it is why they are the lakes that they are. Um, 
there's nothing like a bite window opening on a lake that they like you like you described you know like like Laxul that just has so many impressive fish and uh but like you also said it's really tough musky fishing's tough and I, you know Nate I'm sure I'm sure you as a guide like I think back to my, some of my first trips way up to that that part of the province and like it was like they're like what do you want to fish for and I'm like well we want to do walleye and musky and I can only imagine they must have been like uh like I, I bet, I bet you a lot of people say that, and I bet you there isn't a single guide or outfitter that wants to hear you say walleye and musky. Because if you're casual about musky fishing, you're probably not musky fishing, right? It's, it's tough. And the buddy I went up there with, my cousin actually, he he couldn't do it after a, a day. He, we didn't get anything, man. And he was, you know, he's used to being on his lake and going for a small pike and walleye and head in and have dinner. And it's a great, it's a magical place in its own right. But it, musky fishing is root strength and ignorance, right? It's, it's work. Well, you're, you're right on that. But even with myself now, like when I was younger in my twenties and during the hay time and stuff like that, like, I remember, wait, we were so lucky on Sewell. Like, I've seen 350 inches come in at the same time all on topwaters off of different directions of the boat and stuff. Like, we, we got to experience some wild, wild times uh, on Lac Sewell during that time when me, Greg, and Colin, and Linda, and Big Rye, all of us would fish together. Like, it, it was crazy, some of the things we've experienced. Um, but it, we went hardcore and that's where a lot of guys and a lot of guys betray it. Well, musky fishing, big hardcore, you gotta have the muscles and go, go, go nonstop. Don't give up. Don't stop to eat a sandwich. You just eat up while you're traveling and go, go, go where now I've kind of sat back a, a lot now and just read the fish and let the fish kind of tell you i know and it's kind of hard when you're coming up and doing a trip when you only got four days so you kind of want to go a little bit harder to make sure you had a pattern but like even me and the musky maniacs uh the clothing line there too nate and slate they come up and fish with me all the time we went over to lake of the woods and we had 24 hours we to fish lake of the woods <laughs> basically it was only about 12 hours to fish Lake of the Woods altogether. And I haven't been there in, I guess it's 13 years was the last time I was on that water. So I haven't seen it. The water was way down and we ended up boating three fish in, in the only short period of time we had on the water. But I find uh, if you know the water and stuff, listen to your guides. Um, a lot of times you don't have to go, go, go and hardcore and just give her, give her, give her. It's good to take your breaks and even you can go hard where you hit the morning and get out there at sunrise and fish until 12, one or even later. Or if you're going all day, like we were talking earlier about going north of Lac Sewell. Um, when you go there and you go north, you're going north all day. You're, you ain't coming back. You ain't doing anything like that to come back to the lodge and chill and then go back out or anything. If you go north from Moosehorn, you're, you're going on, on an all day trip, but um what i do a lot of times and a lot of guys don't really like to do it but i'll pull over like say it's july where you got light until almost 11 o'clock up there um i'll pull over at five o'clock in the afternoon it's kind of dead time the fish aren't it's kind of that in between time and before the night bite starts happening where 
I'll pull the boat over on shore, tell the guys to get out, walk around on shore, splash some water on your face, stretch your legs, just move around a little bit and that, and uh, re-energize yourself. Um, and I found that it's actually put more success where more fish get boated because I, when you grind all day and go all day, especially if you're not seeing any fish, it just wears on you, wears on you, wears on you. And as much as you're trying to stay positive, it just... There's still something on the back of you kind of not giving you that full energy that you would if when you do hop out of the boat and take a break and kind of just catch a breather and then you come back with some whole new energy, whole new vibe and it can change the day for you if you don't go really hard, 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 hard. Like it, it all depends on what you want to do really as the angler, but sometimes relaxing and kicking back and just like we said, something's going to happen and you just wait for that moment to happen it'll happen the more you i find the more you push it and want it the less you're gonna have it happen and i think this this is something that comes a lot chris with uh, experience we hear a lot of the experienced guys saying these same things right don't blow your brains out uh pick your times pick your spots and fish smart but I, th I think, Frank, when we when we had those like sh short but intense uh, days on Sewell, even towards the end, we started seeing the pattern that was was almost like clockwork with the majors and the minors and the time of day. And so, I would have to agree with you a bit, Nate, that like it was as hard as we wanted to go. Like, let's not waste any time because we're only here four or five days, and then you know that's it for another one, two, maybe three years. COVID comes, uh, maybe four or five years, right? So. It, but but near the end, it's like okay, we've 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 figured out the pattern of how the fish are behaving, so we know right now we we can kind of take it easy or just relax or like you said, mentally prepare or refresh yourself to be ready for those peak times where you know those at those moments you can't you can't mess around at all. It's like you just you know full speed you know the whole time. So um, so yeah, to your point, we did start figuring out at certain points that, okay, we have a downtime here. Uh, and from experience now, we know when, when the bite window has been, been hitting. So let's, let's focus our energy accordingly. Yeah. But Chris, well, yeah, the funny thing is, is oh, we sorry. still fish like crazy guys. That's okay. Chris, we still fish like madmen. We still did 11. <laughs> we still only ate when we were moving. Right. I mean, <laughs> what else are we going to do? Right. Well, it, it's hard, to, especially when you're on that water, to not just go, 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 go. But even if you look at it as this way as well, is if you're going, 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 and you're doing that on like kind of the downtimes as well, you got to think you're burning your energy as well. So the more energy you're putting out there, even though you put food in you and everything like that, you're still wearing out your your body and tiring yourself out that. You think you're trying to set the hooks on a 50-inch or 50-pounder, and that thing's got its teeth clamped on that bait, really, unless it's a bucktail where the lure is going to slide through its teeth to bury the hooks. If it's one of those plastic body, wood body baits or something, and it's got its teeth dug into them, it's going to take some power to rip it a little bit to get those hooks buried, where after burning yourself out all day, you don't have the power like you did earlier. So taking a break here and there is not a bad thing. I, I've even told guests that don't want to pull over on shore and just go sit out a spot or two. 
You don't, you don't got to fish at every spot. Like if you guys don't want to pull over for half an hour, 45 minutes, just take one spot out. And I had like the musky maniacs, they were timing me one time because we were recording. So while we're recording and turning on and off the cameras the whole time, they said, you average anywhere from four and a half minutes to six and a half minutes to each spot you fish. So, you know, taking a one spot off, you're only missing four and a half, six and a half minutes, really. And if it's dead time. Good point. Good point. If it's dead time, that four and a half, six minutes just might have boated you that 50 inch or during prime time. Yeah, for sure. Good points. Good points. I mean, for us, it's really. We get up to these magic lakes so seldomly that I don't even, I just don't want to not be doing it. But you're right. I mean, we've had plenty of instances where, Chris, you're at the end of the day and you're burnt out. I mean, you remember the boat? When your big one hit at Sewell, we were we were three zombies. Like, we were just dead. Like, yeah. just like, half asleep in the boat, right? But uh, <laughs> lucky we were jerked home. And, and you're, you're a reasonably strong guy. So, I mean, I think that, that hook probably said itself. But... I was half asleep when that fish hit. Woke up real Literally quick, though. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chris, uh, are, you, are we going to talk about this damn tree or what? Because I'm, I'm, we're sitting well, here the shit, and I'm like, it's, we're an hour in, and I'm like, I want to know about this tree. I don't want to oh, rush. Wait, we haven't, sequence, we haven't but... even talked about Lake of the Woods at all or even really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we haven't even talked so about I was, I, okay. I was gonna I was gonna ask you this question next is like do we do we like okay I want to ask you so why would you leave this place to go to the lake of the woods because you know first of all it's not like you're going to an, an inferior body of water but the point is is you're you're in a body of water that's world-class musky uh, so that was going to be like a, a question I wanted to ask you but but we didn't really talk anything technical uh, in Laxul, like some of your some of your techniques that were successful without giving away, obviously, you know, any trade secrets. But if you if you wanted to give some, you know, just general tips to the listeners on on approaching a body of water like this, and you know, I always like to ask somebody of your experience, like, hey, you got you're going on the water, you got three baits you can bring on this water. What would you recommend, and what depth would you be fishing at and would you be focusing on spots uh, or coverage or you know just a kind of general synopsis is a good thing for listeners to to, to, to kind of get from somebody like you and then I wanted to see why you you left that body of water and, and went over to the woods okay um like well you don't need three baits basically two baits Two baits for lax tool once it opens up um, in June and pretty much all the way until mid-September, really, you just need a bucktail and a topwater. If you have those two baits and you throw those and concentrate on those the whole time, you will catch fish and you will get action. Um, and see, like, I could give tips on those two baits and those are two, they don't leave my rods. I have those two baits going all the time, like I said, just now. I use them myself from opening day till mid-september pretty much a top water and a bucktail is on my rods at all times on my guest rods at all times 
Um, I'll dabble with other baits and fool around with other baits, but basically those two baits are, are going all the time. I just switch up sizes, um, for the times if fish are active. Fish color? Active. Is, co is, is color critical? Color? Well, and, and actually I'm talking to a guy right now, uh, Joe Sampson, um, is his name and he's making, uh, he make custom makes hand baits and he's just gotten into it in the last year and. He said my 57 and a half inch video of the fish I caught up on Lax Sewell gave him inspiration and kind of made him want to make baits and stuff. And I just met him the other day and actually I haven't met him face to face. It was just online. And now we're talking about baits and he's going to make me a custom bait actually that he's doing right now. Samson's Baits is his bait company um, and colors. So this is my perspective on it. It doesn't mean it's right. Um, it's just what my thoughts are on it. So for top waters, yeah, you got all these colors in the rainbow. Um, but if you guys remember as a kid swimming all the time and stuff, you would dive under the water all the time. What kid doesn't like diving under the water? And you look up. What, what happens when you look up under the water? You basically got a white screen, right, at the top of the water. You, you don't see really past it. You could see kind of silhouettes if you're close to shore or anything. But if you're out in open water, you pretty much just got a white screen over top of you, right? That's why that's why the shark bellies are white. There you go. So you have a white screen above you. So you put your hand in front of a white screen or it, to kind of example it, you can look at a light bulb above you on your roof or sky, like, a roof or even look at the don't look at the sun because it'll hurt your eyes but you look up towards the sun and you put your hand in front of that sun or you take one of your top raiders or one of your top water baits and hold that bait in front of that white screen all of a sudden that bait just turns black right so it, on top waters and my thoughts it, do does color really matter it could um, me and Steve Demonsky, another guide up in Sulaco, one of my main fishing partners the last few years, uh, really good guide. He, me and him do this jibber jabber all the time about baits and colors and everything. And we figured out a huge thing with contrast, um, having two different colors on the bait, um, actually seemed to produce more fish than just a solid and uh, one solid color. Um, and with having two different colors, you'll get two different shades. So like, even if you put it in front of the light, one shade's going to be darker, one shade's going to be lighter. So colors will play an aspect on how bright and how dark they are, but really it's going to be more of a shade of a black or a shade of gray. Hey folks, thanks for watching. That's part one, Nate Andrichuk. Great conversation, lots of fishing knowledge, lots of talk about some great lakes. In, uh, in Ontario and places we love to fish. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, what can I say? June is a long time away. <laughs> but uh, weather's starting to get better. Things are melting. You know, maybe it's time to get out into the boat or into your tackle box and uh, start sharpening hooks and start cleaning the boat. And, and hopefully the opener will be here before we know it. Um, but some big things happening. We've got uh, the Odyssey coming up in Hamilton, April 2nd for Muskies Canada. And, of course, Ugly Pike Podcast making a monster announcement coming up in the next couple weeks. We're excited to share some things with you guys. Thanks for listening. Part 2 will drop in a couple weeks. 
See everybody.